0: Hi, it's Stan here for Dusty Discs Radio and this is the podcast Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. Today I'm very honoured to have as my special guest a true Canadian legend and singer extraordinaire, Sylvia Tyson. We'll be talking about many of her experiences in life and her tremendous contributions to the Canadian music scene. So thanks for joining me today, Sylvia. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. And it's a beautiful, sunny day here in Toronto.
0: Yes, there you go. Well, it's a real honour for me to speak with you, I must say. Uh, You know, we've had some retro artists on here, and of course, retro, I guess that's from your 60 years uh, plus, I guess now, because uh, you started in really the early 60s. Well, some of it's
1: retro, some of it's more recent.
0: Yes, you're still active, which is really nice to see. And uh, that's the thing about people talk about music keeping you young. Do you think that's true in your case?
1: Well, um, somebody once asked Willie Nelson if he ever thought of retiring. And he said, all I do is play golf and play music. What do you want me to give up?
0: Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think it's it's an inspiration. And I kind of think the same way. There's nothing to retire from. You just do what you do.
1: Absolutely. Right? Yeah.
0: No, that's good. And uh, I guess you know one of the things that I do when I talk to to the older set of uh, musicians is that looking back at the timelines. You know, it's it. They say life goes quickly, and then when you look back, you think, "Gee, you know, it was only a few years in your life you did certain things, and and it seems so fast now." Do you have that impression?
1: That time does seem to move more quickly at this age.
0: <laughs> but also like you know some of the projects you did and stuff they were only short sort of fragments of your life like a year two years three years and then you moved on or to something else
1: yes well one friend of mine calls me the mother of reinvention
0: <laughs> oh that's great and uh so I wanted to ask you I mean a lot of your history is is available online and people know it and if they're interested in it but um the curious thing that I that I always ask about is 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 your impression of how it went so for example you moved from from your small town I guess you're from Chatham you moved to Toronto and you you kind of had a plan but then I always like to ask people well how much of it was the plan and how much of it sort of happened to you because you never know what you, you could have a plan but you don't know what's going to happen right
1: well, I think both things are true. I mean, when I, I left Chatham, uh, you know, my parents were actually rather enlightened for the day because uh, they, they said, uh, well, if it doesn't work out, you can always come home and get married. <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> but uh, there was but some... I knew I was
1: moving to Toronto to be a folk singer.
0: Yeah. And then the happenstance takes place, I guess. You just meet people and you just kind of find your way.
1: Well, I had met Ian before I moved, actually, through friends. uh, um, Kind of a complicated thing. His boss was the second ex-husband of my first landlady in Toronto. And she uh, introduced us, and he said, Oh, I have this guy working for me that that, uh, that, uh, plays guitar and sings.
0: Yeah, and then obviously there was a connection there. I mean, it's, it's funny with music because music is, is a lot like people, I guess. You just sort of gravitate towards certain people or you're, you're looking for that magical combination. You don't always know what it is till you kind of find it, and, and usually it's kind of accidental, right?
1: Well, I think Ian had been looking for a partner. He had done some work with Don Franks early on, uh, more in, in the jazz blues field, but I think he was looking for a, a female partner, not a romantic partner, but just a musical right. partner at yeah. that point.
0: Yeah, well, and you happened to be there, and, and, and compatible, I guess, is what I'm saying, is that there has to be a that connection. That, and,
1: and I had a whole raft of material that, that uh, he was unfamiliar with, and so we started swapping uh, song ideas, and right. he became quite interested in my interest in Appalachian and, and English uh, uh, folk music
0: Nice Yeah and and you brought a lot to the table too and, y- and you you went on you wrote uh, You Were my, On My Mind so you were Yes
1: that was the first song I ever wrote actually the first song you ever wrote was, was uh, Four Strong Winds
0: Crazy Wow.
1: And uh, my first song was You Were On My Mind. <laughs> yeah. I I still get plaintiff calls from my accountant asking <laughs> me if I could write another one of those.
0: Yeah, well, that you know, that's the thing. A lot of people have said the hardest thing about writing a, a hit song is writing another one because they go, hey, well, yes. we, need, we need 10 more of those. And they're like, well, yeah, they don't yes, grow on absolutely. trees. absolutely. <laughs> they don't grow on trees. But you I've know. been
1: fortunate in my recording career that I, I've never had a... a a record company that demanded that I do certain material. I, right. I've always got to be a bit of a brat, you
0: know? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. So I was curious, because you wrote You Were On My Mind, and then it was recorded by We 5. Now, your version is a yes. lot higher. Like, you sing it in C. I think they sing it in E. Like, theirs is quite a bit. Well, like,
1: I don't sing it in C anymore. No? <laughs> <laughs> my voice has gotten a lot deeper.
0: <laughs> but um, but their version, the female voice, was quite low in it. But it, it works for them. uh uh-huh. Which I, I Yes,
1: and they did change the lyrics, but I totally understood why they changed the lyrics, because radio at that point in the early 60s didn't use words like drunk and sick in songs.
0: Right, okay, yeah. But then you said you didn't even know they recorded it, you you heard it by accident, is that right?
1: We, we were, uh, Ian and I were playing in California, Southern California, and we were driving up the Pacific Coast Highway to Vancouver, and it came on the radio, we almost drove off the road.
0: Unbelievable, wow. So, I mean, you were happy about that, obviously. Any songwriter who gets their song picked up and it becomes a hit is is all, almost always happy about
1: it. Oh that. yeah, I was I was delighted, and uh, it did very well for them, of course. Yeah. I think it was probably the only hit they had. I,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I seem to recall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the one-hit wonder, but it certainly worked out for you too. And of course, it's a really super familiar song, and everybody loves it. So it's
1: well, it's been paying the rent for many years now. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, it's it's like like I said, you know, when you, when you look at some artists, I mean, writing one hit song is is a monumental challenge, and you got some artists that that have written twenty, but that that's just really really hard to do.
1: It was a a big European hit too. A translation
0: oh, was nice. done,
1: and yeah. uh, I mean, I still get uh, royalties from Italy. Oh wow! For that, yeah, it's quite quite astonishing. There was a group called uh, out of Spain called Los Barracudas. Hmm. Who recorded it, yeah, um yoho on mentite is a translation,
0: yeah, wow, well, isn't that neat? Well, that's cool, that's rather fortuitous. I mean you those things again, you don't no pl- kidding <laughs> you don't plan those things, they just kind of happen, and you go, okay, that Yeah. Sounds-
1: <laughs> and I'm very thankful to the the uh, Italian translator who yeah. who did did the lyrics,
0: yeah, oh, very nice because
1: he seems to be very aggressive on behalf of the copyright,
0: yeah. Yeah, good, and and of course you get that that all flows. It's all worked out now. You uh, the curious thing to me is that like back in those days, a lot of people got exploited, and some people even signed away their song rights, uh, like a John Fogarty. Okay. And there's other many other examples of people who signed away a hundred percent of their song. You must have had someone that uh, was in your corner.
1: Well, of course we had a, an excellent manager at that time, Albert Grossman. Okay. But that those were the days when publishing companies took all of the publishing and yeah. you had your writer's royalties.
0: Okay. But you still maintained yours, so that was that was good for you at a time when
1: I had I had my I had the writer's royalties. I didn't have the publishing royalties until 30 years later.
0: Oh, Okay. Interesting. But at least you were getting paid on those songs is my point. Oh, yes, absolutely. Is, yeah, that's great. So it's curious you met you met Ian and you started working together you were a folk duo and then and then you got a record deal. So uh, I was curious about like you went to the states, you went to New York, like you were right involved in that whole scene and how did you end up with yes. a record how did you end up with a record deal? That wasn't even easy to do back then, right? I mean, it, not everybody got them. Well,
1: again, as as I say we had a manager, Albert Grossman. He okay. he did uh, we we went with Vanguard Records. He didn't want us to go with Vanguard. He wanted a a more commercial label. No. But Vanguard was was the folk label at that point. Joan Baez, of course, was on.
0: Right. Okay. And so you got a sort of a, a, you know, it wasn't one of the majors, I guess, is the way you'd put it, right? But it got you in the door?
1: No. Up to that point, Vanguard had done mainly classical music.
0: <laughs> okay. And then you sort of semi-relocated to New York. Is that correct? You lived there for a bit?
1: Yes. I I still have an apartment there.
0: Oh, okay. But you were... You know, uh, staunchly Canadian, too. Like, some artists, you know, I mean, like, you read Paul Anka's story. Like, he went to New York. He thought that was the place to be, and he just went there and immersed himself. And never looked back, yes, I know. (laughs) Yeah. But you you maintained your Canadian sort of status.
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. One of the difficulties, of course, was that there wasn't that much work here. Hmm. Uh, You know, there were maybe half a dozen universities you could play and then you had to wait another 2 or 3 years before they'd hire you again. Yeah. And there were clubs, but they were pretty small and few few and far between at that point. Yeah. So right. work in the states was inevitable.
0: I got you just to 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 pay the bills and sort of build your career up, I guess, too, right?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, and of course uh, the US is an enormous market. Even a moderately successful artist does very well in in the US.
0: Right. And uh yeah, and of course, as you are well aware, this is the ultimate sink or swim business, right? You either find a way and do it, or you sit at home and do nothing. Well, oh, there's or that, yes, or get a job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, never occurred to me. Yeah, well, you obviously you worked though. You paid your dues. I mean, you you traveled around and toured lots, right?
1: Oh yes, constantly. Yeah. We we were signed with a, an agency in. In the states that handled all of the Kingston Trios concerts, and they had mm-hmm. a map in their lobby that had a red pin for every college and university in North America, and it was a mass of red pins. Wow. So they started booking us into uh, colleges and universities.
0: Yeah. So how many of those do you think you did? Was it a thousand?
1: Oh, I have no idea. It was endless. <laughs> Crazy, yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing. So, so did you ever get that sense of? I mean, I toured somewhat, but I just, you get lost on the road sometimes. It's like an alternate reality. Didn't you find that?
1: The thing about being on the road is you don't even think about days of the week. Yeah. You know, you just think about the length of time you're going to be on the road.
0: Right. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. It's 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 like you're living in an alternate reality because you're not doing the routine things, right? It's like, okay, where are we going? Are you doing this, you're doing that. Yeah. So, did you enjoy? Well, that? it
1: can be. Of uh, yeah. course, uh, we did a lot of driving in those days, and yeah. and and a lot of flying afterward. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's one of the things I find difficult about right now is just getting from place to place is a plane drag. You know. Mm. Yeah. It's it's really expensive and and not necessarily convenient.
0: Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, of course, you, you've, again, paid your dues. So traveling, you want to do it in a more comfortable way for you, right?
1: Yes, one one lives in hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then I'm always curious about how you mix the personal with the, the business. You know, that's the other part of it, right? Like like I, I knew Susan Jacks and I had her on my podcast here before she passed away. And, and we discussed that a lot. You know, we had talked about it before and then I had her on the podcast and she talked about, the dynamic of of having a personal relationship and a business relationship, too. Did you have some difficulties with that?
1: Well, uh, at the point when we we had full bands, I I can recall, uh, you know, having some uh, new band member come in, and I would uh, say to them, uh, if you and I get into an argument about an arrangement, don't get involved. It's not (laughs) not about music.
0: Right, yeah. But you guys, it sounds like like when, when I talked to Susan, I had her on before she passed. But she didn't pull any punches about how she felt she wasn't treated properly as as a woman and as a partner, uh, both personally and professionally. But it sounds like you had that a, was
1: never a problem for yeah, me. I was I was always able to speak up for myself.
0: Yeah, good. Well, it sounds like it was more equitable. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, it, was, you, it
1: definitely was a partnership.
0: No, I'm I'm happy to hear that because I mean, you know, those days were the the days of you know the broads and the dames and and mistreating and and condescending to women and stuff in a lot of cases. And and Susan had that; she felt that.
1: I'm sorry that she uh, she went through that. I, I did not have that problem.
0: Okay, oh good. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear that. But but you still had the dynamic of of a personal and a business situation. So it's your, yes, yeah. And how did that? play out? Did you just sort of manage that along with everything else?
1: Yeah, well, it, you take it a day at a time, you know, yeah. and actually uh, having the the musical partnership in some ways took pressure off the personal relationship. Yeah. Because, as, as, as I say, you know, if we had disagreements about music, we could blow off steam there.
0: Well, and also, you know, when you talk about, I don't know, not women's lib or the empowerment of women, just but just being strong, like, like I can see from your history and looking into it as I have you want it to be more than just a a face and a voice you played guitar you played auto harp you sang you wrote songs you had a point of view you wanted to be taken seriously
1: absolutely as as every performer does of course
0: yeah are you are you a natural lefty on guitar yes and did you flip it up, or upside down, or did you just string it?
1: No, I always had a left-handed instrument.
0: Okay, interesting. Because some, as you know, lots of people Well,
1: flipped. it's kind of handy because people don't mess with your guitar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but I know, I know, I played with a guy that he flipped it upside down. He played a right-handed guitar, left-handed, so.
1: I know uh, that, that's, uh, I've heard that, and uh, like the, probably one of the more famous in the folk field would, would have been Elizabeth Cotton. Hmm. Yeah. who developed a whole finger-picking style on, on playing a right-handed guitar left-handed.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It does give you a few different sounds, but I, that's what I was going to ask you about. But
1: Well, every instrument you pick up gives you a different sound. The, the, the things that, that you write on, on, on the accordion, you would never write on the guitar.
0: Yeah, you know, fair. it's
1: just it, the differences in the instrument really moves you in certain directions.
0: Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. And did you ever feel, I mean, you were sort of a natural beauty, I guess, uh, to, to be, you know, frank about it. Did you ever feel exploited or, or did that work for you or against you? I guess b- being that way it sort of can work for well, you. Well, certainly and
1: early you. on, I was partners with a big guy, so it wasn't much problem.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, But you had a, a natural... Sort of, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about this when I was doing the research to talk to you and stuff. And I, and, and the one word that came up to me was authenticity. Like, mm-hmm. like when you're a folk artist or a country artist, like you, you have to be authentic because that's where that music comes from. You're not overly, you know, you don't have a bunch of jewels and a and fake eyelashes and that. You're just authentic in a natural beauty. Was that a, an important part of what you did? I
1: never thought much about how I looked. I mean, I guess I was fortunate, and I had, pretty regular features and and I guess was reasonably attractive, but it was not something I thought about very hmm. much.
0: But that that's part of the natural part of it, right? And I think it's funny. I, I guess so. Well, it, it's funny because when you look at, you know, guys, women nowadays, like, I mean, you got the fake lips and the fake eyelashes and everything else, but it seems to me, for me and my friends, they still prefer a naturally attractive person. Well, it's it's a lot easier all around, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think that still still wins out is the natural look. So, but but my point about authenticity is, you know, like like for example, I read Ian's book, you know, and he was a genuine cowboy, like he was the real deal. He wasn't a sidewalk commando, as we would say, or somebody who's like a lot of country artists nowadays have never ridden a horse or barely ridden a horse. I mean, Ian was a was a, the real deal. You guys were the real deal.
1: He was—he was really into the cowboy lifestyle, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, and then you write songs that reflect that, or or even the folk scene, like like you talk about Greenwich Village, or or the the, the situation in Toronto. Like that was that music came out of a lifestyle.
1: Well, it was. How can I put it? It was post-beatnik, pre-hippy, hmm. somewhere in between. And so you just your style was whatever you felt like doing at the moment,
0: right? uh, uh based on the, the life and the and the vibe. I mean, because I when I listened to Great Speckled Bird too, for example, that that's kind uh-huh. of it's kind of a big mishmash of all that stuff you're talking about. It sounds very 60s, but it's cool, it's funky, it's folky, it's kind of psychedelic, it's it's Canadian, like it's all over the place. But it's a mish a mishmash of all those things you're talking about.
1: Yeah, that that album, a, a sealed copy. of That album goes for about three or four hundred dollars
0: now. <laughs> oh, very cool. So, how, how did you describe that music? How did you categorize it?
1: Well, we didn't, and yeah, I guess well, that was go. part of the <laughs> part of the deal. You just did what you did. Yeah. Did what? You know, like I say, I've been a brat most of my my musical life, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I've I've really just done what I felt like doing and and whatever appealed to me at the time.
0: Yeah, but that's kind of where the magic happens too, I suppose.
1: One hopes, yes. yeah.
0: Um, but so th- when I listen to that album, I I think Canadiana because I mean you you mentioned the Canadian cities. You got the song Calgary. You got you even sing a song in French, right? Isn't Crazy Arms in French? Yep. So,
1: although it's not a Canadian song,
0: <laughs> oh okay, that
1: that that was because we were friends with Lucille Starr, hmm. and uh, Lucille and I actually did. Uh, uh, a duet on that a couple of times. It was oh. a lot of fun.
0: And how's your French?
1: Hardly adequate. You know, <laughs> I, I had my high school French. Yeah, I, I can approximate an accent, but, uh, you know, I don't really speak French.
0: Right. You've got a whole bunch of different flavors on there. You've got the steel guitar and then, you know, smiling wine and, and We Sail. I think it's We Sail. It sounds like a gospel song almost. You've got the harmonies and the layered harmonies and stuff.
1: Yes, well, uh, we had a. Uh, I I certainly had a lot of musical influences, and they all had their effect on on my music.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I
1: I one of the things I find very strange in in um, culture today is people talking about cultural appropriation. Hmm. And in fact, all music is cultural appropriation. Right. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care who it is. They've all been influenced by somebody, and that influence turns up in their music.
0: Well, and don't you think it's kind of a compliment in a way?
1: Well, uh, that and I think it adds to to the interest and variety in the music.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I never had an issue with it. I thought, well, you, if you hear something that you like, I mean, look what the Stones did with all the black artists in the States. I mean, they were hugely, yep. and they obviously, they said it flat out. They didn't hide it at all. They said...
1: <laughs> yes, and, and and as a result, they made some of those artists quite famous.
0: Yes, which was is great. So, uh, when you look at the timelines, then you got all this great stuff going on. You got the album out, you're, you're touring and it comes so fast. And then, uh, and then it ends, I guess. And you, uh, you sort of go your own way. And, um, I read, like I said, I read Ian's book and he, he talks about, you know, my impression from him on that, in that book is that he was very self-directed. He just kind of, he liked the cowboy thing. He said he moved to the States at one of and he moved to New Mexico or something and had his ranch and. You know, like to do what he wanted to do, so that came across in his. Well, book, I,
1: I think, think that at a certain point with the with the partnership, but he he definitely was going in a certain direction with his own music, and and he had his television show, right. And um, I had a, you know, we had a son, and I was home with him quite a lot, ah. and not as much on the road, and it, it just was a natural sort of thing. Our, our musical tastes had always been quite different. But they became very different and, and not necessarily uh, uh, copacetic.
0: Right. And it's curious how that works for you and against you.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, he was supportive of, of me doing my own music early on, too. I mean, certainly uh, my the first uh, album that I did, he was a, a, a producer on.
0: Okay. Nice. Yeah.
1: There, was no, uh, there was no enmity or anything. You know, we, we okay. got along fine.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, he talks about that in his book how things sort of drifted in different directions, as sort of yes. life's natural course. I guess is the way you'd say. Yeah, it.
1: yeah. Yeah. And the gap became wider and wider.
0: Right. Yeah. And that comes up. Pretty, I didn't read the other book, Four Strong Winds. I, I did have John Anerson on uh, my podcast, and I did talk to him. He's like a walking encyclopedia. That guy. Like I'm. Oh yes. Wow. He just blew my mind. But so he did Four Strong Winds for you guys. Now. As you know, there's, there's several different kinds of, of music books. There's the autobiography, and then there's the biographies, and then there's the uh, unauthorized biographies. So, did you? <laughs> which, you know, because I don't people... pay
1: much attention to tell you the truth. Yes, I, I read uh, it, and then I, uh, I put it in the bookshelf along with 70 <laughs> zillion other books.
0: Right. <laughs> but did you approve the content?
1: He he. Uh, John checked with us all the way through it, and he only actually made one one error yeah. that I was aware of. Okay, and that was when we talked about playing in the Deep South, and that that uh, a lot of the the we were hired by by fraternities and sororities, and one of the groups that played a lot down through that area was a group called the Hot Nuts. Hmm. And what I had said to John was that they played blue material. And he had they played blues material.
0: Oh, Very I different see. Things. Right, I got you. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But he's pretty meticulous guy. But no, I was curious about that because, like the unauthorized biographies, obviously they write stuff that isn't flattering. You know, the autobiographies people they they tend to leave out some of the the more negative stuff and and make the, themselves look better. I suppose is the way I would. Yeah,
1: say I so, Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. As I say, I don't yeah. pay much attention.
0: Yeah, so when you when you think of Ian now, he passed. I guess last year it was right.
1: Yes.
0: And uh, I I always sing Four Strong Winds." I, I do my acoustic shows, and and I just love that song, and I love singing it, and people love it too. It just creates a certain feeling for people. And I remember Ian talking about when it was voted the most Canadiana song. I guess of of all of them, he said he almost he was working on the, the ranch. CBC. Yes,
1: they yeah. just, they chose it as as the most Canadian song of. Of all time,
0: <laughs> yeah, and he could, he said he couldn't believe it. but I mean, I don't know. i I, I wasn't surprised. I think it was uh, you know it was deserving.
1: Well, I know that at one point uh, we we got an angry letter from some school teacher out in b c who said uh, that Ian had a lot of nerve putting his name on that folk song.
0: So he thought it was lifted from from a traditional song or something.
1: Oh yeah, well, he, he thought she thought it was traditional, and he just put his name on it.
0: Oh, oh no, well that wasn't the case though.
1: That's, no, uh, that's
0: funny. So when you think of, of Ian now, how do you how do you reflect on him looking looking at his life and and you guys? Well, and... I
1: was sad that that he died, but we'd we'd been apart for much much longer than we were together. Right. And of course, we have a son. Yeah. And uh, you know he's he's dealing with his father's estate right yeah. now. So I, okay. I'm talking with him quite a bit. You know, um, Ian was a, a wonderful singer and and a great great songwriter. And uh, you know, I'm I'm sorry that that he's gone, but uh, that's life.
0: And he lived a long you know life. He was at eighty nine, I guess. Right? Is that what? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So he certainly had a full life from um, reading from reading his book and stuff and uh, an up and down life but again like i i guess you're the same you sort of follow your own path and i always admire that because so many people are are so willing to conform to what needs to be done that they don't follow their own path and i think that's a, that's a sacrifice that's not worth it in in my view
1: well it's not a choice for me i mean i I've, I've always just done what i felt i needed to do at the time
0: yeah and then after you split, then you went out on your solo career, and uh, yes. you still had a record deal, right? You were still on Capitol Records.
1: I did. I did one, um, one album for Capitol. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how did that feel? Because, you know, when you when you get that name and you get to where you were and you go on as Ian and Sylvia, there's a certain swagger and certain confidence that you have, right? People know you. They like you. They know the songs. Well,
1: quite frankly, I think that when I started my solo career, people really didn't have any idea what it was I did oh. as a solo artist.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, so uh, I uh, I got together with uh, with an old friend, Larry LeBlanc,
0: yeah.
1: and uh, we set out to establish in people's minds precisely what it was I did.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you had to, you had to kind of reinvent yourself, I guess, in a way.
1: Absolutely. Huh. And it's not reinvented. I wasn't making myself into something new or something I wasn't. It's just that people didn't know who that was.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: They, they really saw it in terms of the duo.
0: Right. Yeah. Which is, again, that's, that's your, your way in, but it's also the way people know you. So now it's... Yes. It's just, yeah. And so what happened with that? You followed that path for, I guess, a number of years and released some other... You started your own record label, is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty well, cool. and and my own publishing company, Salt. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just... You know, recorded quite a number of albums over the years, although this most recent one I hadn't recorded in about a dozen years Right on my own.
0: Yeah, so... we. But I mean, starting your own—I guess you—you you wanted to maintain control of your own career. I guess it's better to do that than to to try to give it away or put your put your career in the hands of someone else.
1: Well, it depends. I've made some some very good friends and 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 business connections over the years, and they've served me very well. Yeah. So I I did have people that were very helpful to me. Um, you know, in terms of, of of bookings, in terms of recording. Um, I have always had really good luck with, with band members, you know, that, that have stayed with me for years.
0: Yeah. 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 And you got some recognition, obviously you got the order of Canada, right. And uh, you got nominated for Juno's and country female Vocalist of the year and Canadian Music Hall of Fame. So, so your contributions were, I guess, fairly and duly recognized. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, I'll, uh, I'll tell you quite frankly, um, the younger you are the more attention they tend to pay to you there's a certain area in the middle when you're in your middle years where you sort of fall out of fall out of, out of the picture okay and then i i am realizing with this new album that uh, quite suddenly they th- they seem to think you know something
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you're more than a nostalgic artist you want to be a contributing artist is what you're saying
1: absolutely yeah I'm not into, as they yeah. say about nostalgia, great place to visit, wouldn't want to live there.
0: Right, yeah. Well, it's funny how that happens, you know, like the, like the athletes and stuff, right? They'll have a, a, you know, five or ten year athletic career and then the rest of their life is reflecting on that five to ten year career.
1: Yeah, well, that's not my modus operandi. Yeah,
0: and as musicians, we don't need to do that because you can still keep creating, right? I think um, I think Randy Backman said they're going to put out a new BTO album, and the Stones just put out a new album, right? So,
1: although I don't think I want to see Mick Jagger naked anymore, <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, but probably not. But uh, <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh, can I throw out a few names and and uh, just get your get your response to them?
1: Sure. Can't guarantee what it'll be. Ah, well,
0: so Gordon Lightfoot, one of my, my favorite singer-songwriters of all time, uh, Gordon Lightfoot.
1: Well, uh, we uh, both knew Gordon for quite a long time, of course, back back to the 60s. Yeah. And uh, we were responsible for him signing with Albert Grossman, and Albert Grossman got him his record deal, and the rest was history. Yes. And I think that we were probably the first people to record any of his songs.
0: Yeah. And I saw the video of Early Morning Rain when he comes out and, and sings it with you and stuff. I mean, he was such a monumental, yes. like such a tremendous talent. Like, you know, I mean, I do acoustic shows all the time and, and people ask me, who's your favorite singer-songwriter? And it's always Gordon Lightfoot. I know 20 of his songs and I just, he's just such a, an incredible talent. But you guys, were you friends? Did you know him personally?
1: Yes, but you you have to understand, well, you do understand, I'm sure, yeah. that Friends is, is a... um not, it, it, you meet each other in airports. I mean, you, you seldom see each other. Yes, right. you're friends, but yeah. you don't necessarily hang out together because you're working.
0: Yes. No, I hear, I hear that. Like you, you, you're friends, but it's, um, it's qualified in that sense. We're not you know. in
1: each other's pockets.
0: Yeah. And then of course, Gordon lived a kind of a lifestyle that you probably wouldn't, uh, I think you avoided the whole sort of, uh, scene, I guess, as I would say. Right. You avoided the booze and drugs sort of thing, the traps and that, that other people fell into?
1: Well, I was always pretty straight, yeah. yeah. I, I have an occasional drink, but I was <laughs> never into the drug scene. Yeah. Although I was in it in some ways because so many of the people I knew were in it, but I, I wasn't of it.
0: Right. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, as a professional musician, I mean, I've seen lots of different drugs consumed and kind of nauseated by it because I just wasn't, you know, I drank a bit. I think we smoked a bit of pot at times, but I never did anything else. And it kind of nauseated me a bit to see people kind of fall into that trap.
1: And destroy themselves and their careers, really. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. So... Um, well, good, I wanted to ask you about that and and Burton cummings, did you have uh, did you do shows with him? or meet? I don't
1: really know Burton. I, okay. I've met him maybe on one or two occasions at some some industry function, but I don't really know him,
0: yeah, he was in a different uh, sort of world when the guess who came up yeah, but around the same yeah. time but um and then uh, were you were you tied into like Ian Thomas and Murray McLaughlin and those guys? did you because they were all around Yes Toronto. well the,
1: No, Murray. I know Murray quite well. Uh, Ian Thomas actually produced uh, a couple of albums for me.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, I had him on the podcast. Fantastic! I just can't yeah. say enough about how smart and talented and just what a decent and human funny, being. yes, very funny. <laughs> so I didn't realize that he he did a bunch of that stuff with his brother Dave. Like I didn't know that, but he he told yeah. me. <laughs>
1: yeah, everybody thinks Dave is the funny
0: one. Yeah, but uh, but Ian and then I went and saw them. Well, because you you play in quartet with with um, with Cindy, but I saw them in. Uh, yeah, I went and saw lunch at, uh, lunch at Allen's when they were out in Chilliwack here. And so that was, yes. of course, you know, you know who that—that's Murray and Ian and yeah, and, of course, and Cindy and uh, Mark Jordan. So uh, that was. Yep. So, so how did that whole quartet thing happen? Did they just call you up and say, "Hey," or did it evolve?
1: You, you mean the quartet that I was in?
0: Yeah. So that when you when you yes. playing with Cindy and and uh, the the quartet, Caitlin how did
1: that... and yeah. Well, Derek Andrews was in charge of music at Harborfront. And uh, he hired us for uh, um, an afternoon concert of female songwriters. Mm. And at that point, of course, Colleen Peterson was in the group yeah. rather, rather than, um, than Gwen Swick, who was with us for the majority of the time we were together. Right. And uh, <clears throat> we got together to see what we were going to do with this two-hour afternoon show and realized that we all knew each other's material. And as we started running the material, we started singing on each other's stuff, and it started to sound really good. Yeah. So uh, that's what we did on that uh, that afternoon at the harbor front, and... The fact is, if we'd had an album, we could have sold a pile of them that day. The response was immediate. <laughs> yeah. Got, started getting calls from radio. Peter zosky phoned, phoned us immediately and wanted us on. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, it, it just sort of snowballed.
0: Yeah. No, good. Well, it sounds fantastic, but you bring a lot to the table there, too. And you would have been, the, if I may say, the highest profile person of that group, I would think.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and and I got to sing bass, which is more fun than anything.
0: <laughs> so your voice has lowered over the years. You said a little bit.
1: Oh yes. Yeah,
0: you certainly sang high in some of the songs back then. Well, cool. So then uh, Anne Murray, did you did you work with Anne Murray very much?
1: No. Again, uh, we had you know we, we were friendly and yeah. we would see each other at mu- you know, uh, industry events and so forth. But yeah. we we never hung out together.
0: Yeah. So and then. You know, like obviously all the people from that era, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and them, you would have crossed paths with all them as well.
1: Yeah, they were younger contemporaries. Of course, we recorded uh, Joni's material before just about any anybody did. Yeah. We were always on the lookout uh, as, a, as a duo for for material because we felt even, as songwriters, we felt that there was a certain sameness to what you did after yeah. a while and that you needed the variety. So we were always on the lookout for good songs from other writers.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that because I think that's a good point. And you know, I think George Strait was in a, uh, um interview one time and he said that he's not good at writing songs, but he's really good at picking hit songs. And he'll listen to boxes yeah. of tapes and go, well, that one. So, you get something that yeah. you wouldn't have written, but you get to sing it
1: yes, and and the same is true with co-writing. You always write something you would never write by yourself right
0: yeah and and the benefit of that is obviously huge. and then, but I guess like songwriting and I've done a lot of it myself, but uh, it's you're looking for the magical combination, but you don't know where it is. You just when you find it, you go, "Yeah, that's it."
1: Well, yeah. I, as I say, I just sort of go along doing what I do, and if if uh, it uh, it strikes somebody's imagination, then that's great. But that's not what I. Ne- I mean, I do set out to communicate. I will say that. Yeah. But I I don't necessarily write with the view to, to hitting a huge uh, demographic.
0: Right. Which is. I just
1: write what I write.
0: You know, and again we getting back to the authenticity, you know, there's there's professional songwriters now and even professional songwriting teams who have really sort of made it into a songwriting factory, and that really is counterintuitive to the way that the folk singers and the, the singer songwriters would write songs.
1: Yes, well I've I've never been a, a songwriter that wrote for other people. I've always mm. written for myself.
0: Yeah, that's so uh... So and again, more more authentic because you're writing something that matters to you and that comes from the heart. I guess from your heart and head.
1: Yeah, and and I always feel that that if a song doesn't say exactly what you want it to say, it's not that it can't be done. It's just you haven't done it right. Right. Yeah. So
0: work on you it. You know, it's bit. it's
1: part of, part yeah. of the uh, the workmanship of writing songs.
0: So music careers are obviously a series of ups and downs. And what do you consider the best time or your career peak? I guess or. When you really had it. Well,
1: I don't know. Right now, it's looking pretty good.
0: Yes. Well, that's and, and this new album is. When's that? Um, are you touring? It at comes all?
1: out November third.
0: Oh, November third, and and are you going to go and play some live shows?
1: I'm uh, considering the possibility of doing some festivals during the coming summer. Okay. I, I don't think I'm up to doing uh, two-hour evenings in clubs. Right. At this point. But I, I certainly would like to, to play some and, and, and get people to hear the album. And it seems to me that the uh, the, the festivals are the best way to, to reach the most p- possible people. Yeah,
0: good point. And shorter sets, right? It'd be 45, 60 yeah. minutes, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, manageable.
0: Yeah. So when's the last live show that you did?
1: Well, the pandemic really kind of yes. got in the way, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, quartet... Uh, um, sort of called it quits just before Christmas this past year because um, the work just wasn't there, you know. People weren't going out to clubs. And uh, so, you know, it's just events kind of took over.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you're right about the the festival scene too. There's more people. It's not all dependent on one artist. You can package them together so you get a, a larger group of people to see multiple acts you can do a shorter set.
1: Yeah, and mm-hmm. one of the beauties of festivals is, is that people always see somebody they've never seen before and mm-hmm. would not have seen it if it had not been for the festival.
0: Yeah. There you go. So the other thing I was gonna ask you, what's your uh, what's your philosophy of life these days? Did you did you retain a faith from your youth or how do you look at life these days?
1: I I follow uh Joan Didion's phrase, play it as it lays.
0: Yeah. Take it as it comes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's. Uh, I guess that's that's what most people do in 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 um, you know outside of an overriding sort of philosophy. That's what most people do from their day to day lives, anyways, right? So, yes. Yeah. And uh, did you sacrifice anything for your career? Like anything that you achieved? You know, did you make sacrifices? And
1: well, certainly there was a, a, a in that middle period when I was raising my son Clay. You know, where there are a lot of things that I didn't do because I didn't want to uh, leave home. Right. So that that was calculated, and and uh, uh, you know I don't regret any of it.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So anything you would change about your career if you could if you could go back and do it again, like the decisions that you made, or
1: um overall, I, I have no regrets.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's a good way to live, but. Uh, Did you, any decisions that you made or choices that you made? I guess you just sort of make the best decision you think you can at the time and live with that?
1: That's pretty much it, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I've had some disappointments, but they were never earth-shattering disappointments. Right. You know, you could always bounce back.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I, you know, I appreciate your story because, as I said, when I talked to Susan, she was in the last days of her life and, and didn't pull any punches about how she felt extremely mistreated as a woman in this industry and, and mistreated by the people around her. And it sounds like your experience was somewhat different than that, which is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had know, a few so. things that, that i had a television experience where uh, they, they wanted me to be on, on a show and I won't get specific about yeah. it but the the, the uh, television executive i talked to when i was there with with the man who was managing me at the time bert block and uh we named a certain amount of money that we wanted which was more than a more than fair all around and he said that he'd never paid that amount of money for a female canadian performer
0: wow <laughs> wow <laughs> And and how long ago was this? So I said,
1: find another Sylvia Tyson, <laughs> yeah, and he, yeah. and we got what we wanted.
0: <laughs> well, there you go, yeah. But again, that I guess so. Some of those old habits die hard, right? I mean, what a, what? Oh, a, I think so. I mean, no one would. A scoop. lot of that
1: stuff is kind of ingrained, you know.
0: But I mean, who would say that nowadays?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you might be surprised. <laughs> well, maybe,
0: but uh, I mean, that would be completely inappropriate, and especially like you said, find another Sylvia Tyson. Like, there's only one, so. You get what you get. Right. That's uh, so. Uh, do you have any other passions besides music? Do you have any hobbies or anything you do that that people wouldn't know about?
1: No, not really. I just, I've, I've got a house uh, in Toronto, and I spend a lot of time kind of keeping it in shape. It was built in 1910.
0: So oh wow! That's yes. ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> and you're you but. You do some writing, right? Mm-hmm. You you wrote a novel, and you do some writing and uh, some Yes, and I've written
1: three murder mysteries, which are as yet unpublished, but okay. uh, who knows, someday. Yeah, oh, good You good know? for you. And, um, you know, I did do a songwriter book with uh, Tom Russell called, and then I wrote The Songwriter Speaks. Yeah, It's all quotes from songwriters about songwriting. And, oh, neat. And that um, is uh, being uh, revived online as um, um an English website that's taken it on. So it's actually available for free. If And and I've had a lot of songwriters mm-hmm. say that it's the perfect, you know, book to sort of buck them up if they're feeling discouraged yeah. about their writing.
0: <laughs> well, good. Well, that's that's all part of the significant contribution, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to contribute in other ways, like being a, you were part of Factor, I guess the Factor grants, if our listeners don't know that, that was great. Yes, and
1: I was, um, I was one of the founder investors in City TV, yeah and uh, I also uh was uh, one of the founders of the Canadian Songwriters' Hall of Fame and was president for about ten years.
0: Nice. well, that's awesome. I'm so glad you took the time to talk to me today and all the great things you've done, and you're inspirational because you're still doing it, and you know I'm going to follow in in your footsteps as far as that goes i I'm not ever going to retire. I love music, it's what I do. It's part of me, and I'm just going to be me until I'm not anymore. <laughs> Until I'm done. And
1: so say all of us.
0: Yes. No, that's that's fantastic. (laughs) Many thanks to my special guest, Sylvia Tyson, for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from her expansive career and the interesting life that she has lived. More information is available at quartet.com forward slash Sylvia. There's lots of neat information on there. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. And you can also hear people that we're having on this show you can hear them tuesdays and thursdays so until next time i'm dan here